I was, uh, was about 200 people, and I was talking about um, many will come, come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and they'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, and I emphasize the word iniquity, meaning lawlessness. And then I said, scriptures say, let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity, and I said, same word, <laughs> and the whole congregation yelled out iniquity at me, and I thought, <laughs> what? What's going on? If I sinned? Uh-huh. They thought I was saying, say the word, <laughs> Iniquity, oh, and I'd said, <laughs> I said, same word. Well, guys, today we are talking about why preachers have a hard time saying hard things. And this is really part and parcel with the fact that our pulpits are filled with preachers that won't preach. And if you guys ever hear someone talk and you're, you're listening to them and you're like, how can you not know that that is just completely bonkers what you're saying? Have you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, like, I I'll, just hear, I'll, hear, I'll hear a preacher preach and I'll be like, you really think like that's pleasing to the Lord or do you really mm. think that people aren't clued into the fact that you're pandering? So what you're talking about is something you've seen on YouTube or on television or something, not like your local pastor. Except the last time you were preaching. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, like hearing well-known preachers a lot of times, you know, yeah, on YouTube or on television or whatever, mm-hmm. just saying things that are puzzling to me mm-hmm. and that you should know that that's, that's not biblical, mm-hmm. that's not pleasing to the Lord, and that people can see right through that. So have you got context there? Are you talking about prosperity preachers, something like that? I'm talking about, yeah, false preachers, prosperity preachers, and then maybe not those categorized as that per se, but maybe more of the contemporary woke type uh, kind of progressive preachers. Trendy preachers wearing those cool glasses and sitting with Oprah and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Where have skinny jeans come into all this, too? Yeah. You know, I've often said, and, and, and I have to take it with a grain of salt, it's not what these preachers say that really worries me. It's what they don't say. Yeah. Mm. They, you know, you can say Abraham was rich, and you can, other, you can find scriptures, you know, God wants you to be you know, prosperous, etc. But they never talk about sin, righteousness, and judgment. They never say, how many of you in this vast audience have been born again? How many of you are saved? Don't use words like that. And that's what really concerns me. Where is their love? Where is their faithfulness to preach the word of God, the whole counsel of God, as Paul said? Where is their fear and trembling? Yeah, sometimes, though, you get this kind of cultural thing where you'll have the flip side of that in that they'll be saying things about sin and about hell, but it's this, and you're going to hell, you know, and just this, like, intense, fiery, uh, heartless, cold preaching. Mark, what do you think? Is it sometimes just the circles people are in and that's what they're used to hearing and what people do and so they're cool within that circle to do that? How yeah, do we I mean, find the balance? Certainly we'll find comfortability in the midst of something along that lines. I was asked a question uh, last year during COVID, <coughs> being interviewed for something, and the interviewer said, it sounds like from the way you're speaking that not a lot of people are Christians. And I said, I'll take it a step further. I think a lot of people behind the pulpit are not Christians. Hmm. Second Timothy, it encourages us in Second Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort 
with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, mm-hmm. and they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions to the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So there will always be a time where preachers will be more interested in itching people's ears. Scratching. Scratching their <laughs> ears uh, than speaking the truth because they care more about what people think about them than what God thinks about them. I think we have to be honest. Yeah, you're right. And, <laughs> and that's all Good I have Well, it's time. Guys. <laughs> Just this no, I think we have to be honest, everybody, and admit that we all have a tendency to gravitate towards a preacher that's going to itch our ears. And scratch. a preacher scratch. scratch our ears. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ding, ding darn it. Uh, scratch our ears. And so there's, there's, a, there's a couple of issues here. One, there's definitely that, that preacher, not so much a prosperity gospel preacher, but just like the self-help guy that gets up there and sounds like he's like a halftime hooray dude. And he's just energized and he's making you feel good and he's getting you to hoop and holler. But it's absolutely not grounded. So it's Tony Robbins in the pulpit. Sure, yes, that's a really good way of putting it. Mm. But my point about having the ear scratched is that there's also a tendency to gravitate towards preachers that you would perceive is actually preaching the word of God, is preaching sin, is preaching hell, but they're preaching it not to the heart of the congregants, but they're preaching it focused on the world outside. Mm. So let me put it this way. Uh, I read a book on preaching and and they pointed out that every preacher unintentionally is preaching three different kinds of sermons. One of these three. The first is the gospel against the world. So it's not so much applied to the people who are listening, it's applied to everyone out there. And uh, and so the, the mentality is when you sit there and you listen to this guy preach on hell, preach on sin, you're not looking introspectively. You're thinking, yeah, this is for all those liberals out there. Mm. Ooh, this is, this is for my unbelieving neighbor. They need the gospel. See, that is an itching ear, right? But another one is us against the other churches. So that's the kind of guy that gets up there and explains about how their church is the only one doing it right. And the listeners thinking, man, my pastor and his tribe are the only safe place for real Christianity, or uh, all those other Christians are in danger of idolatry and heresy, but not me. I'm not the one that's willing to compromise. And other, other Christians need to hear a clear preaching of the gospel. See, this is, even though a preacher can preach on hell and can preach on sin, they can preach still in a way that isn't actually directed at your heart. But a true preacher that's willing to preach the heart, that's not willing to itch the ear of its members, are going straight for you and what you need to hear. And when that happens, as a listener, we think, they don't need to hear this. I need to hear this. Mm. I need to be the one that's confessing. I need to be reminded of the gospel. A true preacher can itch the ears even with hell and sin. But when you preach correctly, we are all attuned and we're all listening. We're all realizing how much we are in need of God's grace. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's... I think it's also, uh, like Mark cited from Timothy, you know, it's it's a sign of the times in that, I mean, it happened, of course, in the first century church as well, and with Gnosticism and with, with false preachers, um, even uh, when we look at some of John's epistles, he alludes to that. But I think we're seeing it intensify all the more, 
and it's being exported mm-hmm. to a lot. Now with television, mm-hmm. you get certain countries that are impacted because it's what they're seeing. Right. And then so you get preachers emulating that, imitating that, and carrying that, you know, carrying that forward. So it's it's really, really concerning. But look, we we've we've all experienced the temptation to maybe lighten it up or avoid certain things. I mean, Mark, we talked in one of the podcasts recently about a wedding that you you, you had participation in. We've we've done weddings. Uh, you get to difficult subjects like wife submit to your husband. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're you're exhorting this couple. They're about to make vows, and you know you have an audience full of people that are, are going to look at that like basically you're talking about slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, so Ray, what do we do in situations like that? How, how do we how do we navigate that? I love um, the scripture that says um, I, I think it's King James. I'm quoting, so it might be a little bit archaic. In the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Mm-hmm. I've always got that in mind when I'm preaching and I'm afraid to use the word hell and I maybe want to use the word Christless eternity, which is mm-hmm. unbiblical, yeah. um, or uh, uh, eternally separated from God. No, hell. People know what you're talking about when you say hell. So I'm always realizing that whoever said it, we've got an audience of one, God sees everything. And I've just got to fall back on a quote by Spurgeon who speaks of these preachers that are afraid to talk about sin. And it's a famous quote, and I absolutely love it. Ho, ho, Sir Surgeon. Are you familiar with this one? Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, he begins that. off with ho, ho, Sir <laughs> Surgeon. Another, I don't know what, what, how you'd describe what he's saying, but it's, it's really good. You are too delicate to tell the man that he's ill. You hope to heal the sick without their knowing it. You therefore flatter them. And what happens? They laugh at you. They dance upon their own graves, and at last they die. Your delicacy is cruelty. Your flatteries are poisons. Mm. You are a murderer. Shall we make men, men a fool's paradise? Shall we lull them into soft slumber from which they awaken hell? Are we to become helpers of their damnation by our smooth speeches? Ooh. In the name of God, we will not. Ooh. Wow. Wow. I just want to give Spurgeon a big hug if, <laughs> if, he's, if he's a huggable. Well, you know, Spurgeon in his day was radically uh, persecuted, if, if, if that's the right word, by the religious elites mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, that's where uh, really there were major, uh, you know, backslidings, if you would, theologically. Was that the down, what's called the, the, down- the downgrade controversy? Yes. Right. And it, it, they, a lot say that's what ended up leading to his death. Like it was so intense, the pressure, the criticism. And it's because he wasn't willing to compromise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they were beginning to make major compromises and, and he just, he wouldn't do it, mm-hmm. you know. How important do you guys think it is to have the practice of expository preaching versus topical preaching? Oh, massively important. Because you can't avoid certain scriptures if you're you're going through expository. And would you mind explaining what expository preaching is in case someone doesn't know what that is? Yeah, so, you know, expositional preaching as well would have with it the idea of, of preaching through the word. And, and then you're going to exposit scripture, which means you're going to give, you know, and especially the verse by verse expository preaching, you're going to give God's word in its context, in its historical context, in its grammatical context, and you're going to connect it with, uh, you know, all the hermeneutical principles that apply. Hermeneutics is the, is the art of, of biblical interpretation. You're going to interpret the scriptures properly. Uh, in their context, 
you know, scripture mining or, mm-hmm. or eisegesis, taking things that, that are just, um, you know, for the purpose of getting your point across, uh, end up really diluting the text and not giving the sense, which is where God's word is unlocked, right? You want, you want to give it its proper meaning and its proper context. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, we're blessed to have some amazing expositors uh, today. And, yeah. and in the past, I think of guys like Martin Lloyd-Jones and, mm-hmm. you know, today, you know, men like MacArthur and, and uh, Steve Lawson and others that are just, man, they're pulpiteers. Yeah, expository preaching also often means that a, a pastor will go uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, book by book. So like our church right now is going through the book of Revelation. We start at, at verse one and we go all the way to the very end. Um, right. And the benefits of that is that you are allowing God's word to say what it has to say. And you're also exploring the, the totality, the whole of scripture. Um, I also think another benefit of expository preaching is that you, you start to see uh, the narrative of redemption history more clearly. And finally, you, you uh, allow people the opportunity to fall in love with God's word. Because, mm-hmm. and, and the thing about topical preaching is that it's not, it's not like diametric, diametrically opposed to expository preaching. Uh, a topical sermon isn't necessarily a bad sermon, right? When one of us is invited to preach on evangelism <clears throat> as a guest at a church, that's probably categorically more topical. So it's not like it's a bad thing. Um, but an expository sermon can also be topical if the verse allows it to be topical. Right. But basically, you're being, you're being true to what God says, and you're inviting people to better understand uh, the, 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 the goodness that is in God's word. Yeah, amen. Bring, bring in the context. Mark, there is also something in the human heart. Like, okay, there are a lot of people that want their ears uh, tickled. Okay, but it's like kids. We often talk about how kids really want boundaries, right? Even though they'll show rebellion or whatever. But if you really get to the heart of it, they work. They they work best within boundaries, and, and something in them craves it. There's something in the human heart where people know when someone is being truthful, mm. and there's something in them that likes that. And it's like, wow, this guy's shooting straight. So. How important is that in that context, that that we understand that there's a flip side to that? People want truth. They need truth. And so being candid and just raw with people, hey. Well, everybody of the truth wants the truth, hears the truth, understands the truth, digests it as the truth, right? So I, I think that in raising my kids, my kids know that I have their best interest in mind. So there's oftentimes where I will tell them hard and difficult things but they'll know that daddy knows best. And there's other times is when they're especially young where they just they don't understand and they just simply want their way. No, do not go play out in the middle of the street with knives, with cars running. You're just going to have to take my word for this. This you goes over your head. Do you don't understand. You just have to go with the flow. Daddy knows best, hmm. right? So there, it, it depends on the different stages and the ages of, of kids like that. Remember, Paul corrected uh, the church at Corinth and said that you're still drinking milk. But by now, you should be eating meat. Mm-hmm. Well, what is going on? So there are certain preachers that we have followed, you know, for the last 25, 30 years, 
where they continually just give milk. And if you look at their church, their church is a little anemic in one sense, that they are very strong in a certain area, maybe just a gospel-centered area, but they're anemic when it comes to really good, deep theology. You know, Stephen Lawson, he said, you can give an expository message with a topical message. The thing is, you just have to start with the Scripture. Mm -hmm. You start with the Scripture, you put it in its proper context, well, then you can discuss good issues and subjects. And I think we saw this uh, during COVID, especially, where you have preachers that are afraid to address areas of politics, questions that we will address at the lunch, uh, at the restaurant, right after church. Well, why can't we discuss those things inside a church service? We think, well, everything is addressed with whatever passage the pastor is in, and now we're going to tiptoe around areas, and we're confused. So we see people leaving different churches to attend other churches with pastors that are not afraid to be able to speak up on hard issues that come knocking on our hearts and our minds when we're just trying to sleep at night. We need to bring sense to that. So, yeah, I think that there is a place where we like to be told what to do, even if it's difficult, even though it's hard, especially if you're a child of God. We need to trust the Father that he knows what's doing, and we only see three feet in front of us, whereas God sees the entire picture. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking, like, how, how, can, how can your average Christian test and know, does my pastor preach God's word? How can they, how can they test that? And I think one way is to look at the, go home after Sunday and look at the verse mm. and connect it with this sermon. Did, did it, did it, did he, was he being true to what the verse had to say? Or was he just saying what he wanted to say in the moment? Because the thing about what someone's, a, a pastor could potentially say something that's right, that's not wrong, but if it's not grounded in God's word, then it's not preaching God's word. Yeah. And the second thing is, it, it, as it pertains to having our ears uh, scratched for us, when is the last time your pastor from the pulpit convicted you, Mm. didn't give you fuel to convict your neighbor or your friend, but convicted you from the pulpit. Because if it's been a while, then there's a chance your ear's being scratched. You know, um, Jim Jones' People's Temple, his congregation of 800 people had the good sense to have a Bible on their laps when he was speaking. Uh, They'd still be alive today, but they didn't. Do you know he is an atheist? Did you know that? Who is? Jim Jones. Jim Jones. People's Temple. Oh, really? Yeah, he was an atheist. uh, There's a... uh, Good quote on the FBI website where the FBI, uh, FBI were uh, interviewing him and he confessed to being an atheist and his own congregation tried to get rid of him because of his atheism, but he, that's why he went off and started his own thing. But so important to have the scriptures on our lap and be as the Bereans who ser- yeah. search the scriptures daily yeah. to see if these things are so, because we're talking about our salvation. Yeah. yeah, Believe it or not, your pastor should not be your primary source of, of Bible teaching and learning. Right. Your time in God's word is your primary source of teaching yeah. and learning. Yeah, fully agree. That's yeah. absolutely right. You, we're relying upon a almost a 35-minute sermonette yeah. that's going to combat 24 hours, seven days a week of a bombardment of lies all day long. We have to look at the Bible as the way Arkan Hughes looked at the Bible. It's our ultimate sanity. So then we're going to extract from as many good preachers and teachers 
that we possibly can. Milk everybody, then make your own butter for different responses to questions uh, that are out there. But we cannot rely solely upon our pastor. Or I read a verse in the morning, a single verse, and now I'm good the rest of the day, right? I read all of First Timothy, six chapters today. Yeah. Because I know I need to get this stuff in me. I need to get the Word of God in me, and God will get it out of me, an opportunity to share it. Hey, listener. Have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has a hundred dollars. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. Yeah, you know, um, Ray cited Acts seventeen eleven or the Bereans, and I love that verse. Mm-hmm. And it says, those who were in Berea were more noble-minded than those who were in Thessalonica because they not only received the word with great eagerness, but they also examined the scriptures to see if these things were so. And that's so key. Years ago, when I was in Bible college, I did, uh, I did a, we did a project, and so you know, we did this song and I wrote this line and it's, it's, it goes like this, being, being a Berean and searching and seeing if what is said is true, is it agreeing with what is taught and heard by many because plenty distort and twist the scriptures to their own destruction. They don't follow my God's instruction. Well, that's the first time I've heard that. You've I got so it. much You've hidden, never in heard your, that hidden in your little treasure chest there, <laughs> yeah. all by memory. Ah, so, but yeah, but doing that and being a people who can discern right between the false and the true. And, you know, we, we see that, again, throughout Scripture. I mean, Jesus spoke about being a person who not only knows his word, but does it. So that's another component of it, yep. too, hearing it, examining it. Uh, and, and then James 1.22, don't be merely a hearer of the word, but a doer. Yeah. So receive, research, respond to the word in the affirmative. You know, and when you do that, then uh, you're going to experience it because it's his radical, remarkable, reliable, reasonable, readable, revolutionary revelation that will not return to him void. Amen. So receivers are to respond to it in the affirmative. Um, yeah, so, so that's, I mean, that's key and it's huge. And another thing too, in Titus 3, 3 through 8, Paul is talking about who we were right before we got saved. And he said, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Then he says, um, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And he says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Mm. And I love that. He's saying, listen, speak these things, exhort, rebuke, 
and do it with authority and don't give anyone the opportunity to despise you in that regard. I, I there's probably, I'm sure you read this into it, but let no one despise you. That means don't let that go to your heart because you're gonna be hated for his namesake. People are gonna despise you, right. but realize you're the loved impact of that, right. You can't keep people from acting the way they do, but you can allow, you know, you can uh, have control over how it affects you. But I think that's what's missing today. It's that authority, like not our authority, but the authority of God's word. This is God's word, God breathed. And so we can speak it with authority. And you can tell a preacher who's speaking with authority. Mm-hmm. You know, I think John MacArthur is a great example of that. Anytime I hear John MacArthur speak, you just, you, you sense authority, but you're edified and built up because it's, it's grounded in scripture. He's expositing the text. He's giving you the sense. He's, he's bringing the truth out, mining the truth out of it and giving it to you. And, oh, it's beautiful. Amen. So, great. Well, I think uh, we nailed that one. Preachers need to speak Preach. the truth. Preach it. Preach it. Preach. Ever hear someone yell that out from a congregation? Preach, Preach it. it. I love those members. Tell it. Amen. Preach it. Remember Chattanooga? Amen. <laughs> hey, Ray, real quick as, as we wrap up, um, a congregation really does have an effect sometimes on a preacher too, don't they? In terms of the energy you oh, get. Oh, absolutely. They draw it out of you. Yeah. You know, they pull it out of you. I love it um, when I, I'm seeing people and they're, they're nodding in agreement and their faces, their intent, they're focusing. That actually is a really good point in regards to the liturgy of a church and to be able to understand your role when you show up on a Sunday. Because your role as members of the church on Sunday is not passive. You are not there to witness church. Uh, your role is active. You're there to affirm the scriptures. And that could be as um, verbal as amening your pastor, um, but it's also just being attuned to what he is saying um, and, and to be paying attention in that kind of way in a, a worshipful manner, yeah. um, both during the sermon and during the worship before and after. And if your church has a, an official type of liturgy, you know, our church, where we are with this, yeah, is explain that. Explain that, Oscar, real quick, because a lot of times when people hear liturgy, they immediately think, you know, Catholic or high church. Right. Uh, you know, in some other traditions, but explain yeah. that real quick. So a liturgy is simply a rhythm that shape or a practice that shapes your heart for worship. So liturgies are actually everywhere. Your church, whether you go to a non-denominational church or a Presbyterian church, has a liturgy, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. It's a rhythm that shapes your heart. Uh, some liturgies uh, borrow from more orthodox tradition. So for example, for us, we are a non-denominational church, but like we ask everybody to stand and we have somebody read the scripture that our pastor will be preaching. That is a form of liturgy that maybe is historic, but it's a way in which our members then become participants in the act of opening God's word and listening. And so uh, you don't need your church to have any particular kind of liturgy, but the point is all churches are liturgical and to be able to understand how you participate in that, whether that's lifting your voice and affirming through the, through the singing of, of, of praise music, worship music, or standing for the reading of God's word or uh, affirming a truth that has been spoken from the pulpit. All those are ways in which we participate, which is God's desire for us. Church is not meant to be passive. We don't show up like a movie theater and say, entertain me. 
We show up and say, we are here to worship together as a community. Sure, one person will be preaching, but we are here to affirm the truths in which he is preaching. Yeah. Can I share an experience once about a congregation that was, um, <clears throat> they participated. I was, uh, it was about 200 people, and I was talking about, um, many will come, to, come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and they'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And I emphasized mm-hmm. the, word of iniqu- the word iniquity, meaning lawlessness. And then I said, uh, uh, the scriptures say, let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And I said, same word. <laughs> and the whole congregation yelled out iniquity at me. And I thought, <laughs> what? What's going on? If I sinned? Uh, they thought I was saying, say the word, iniquity. So and I said, yeah, I said, same word. And it, I couldn't understand what had gone on. I just kept on preaching. That was just weird. Why they all yell out iniquity at me for? It was really funny. You know, Mark, real quick, uh, this thought just came to mind. I've I've never thought of it like that, but it's kind of springboarding off something Oscar said. There's false teachers or teachers that aren't faithful in preaching the word accurately, but we we could be unfaithful uh, members of the body of Christ in, in how we participate in the worship service where the word of God is preached. We were talking about R. Kent Hughes before, and in his book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, he talks about the discipline of, of worship. And in that, he talks about even for Sunday morning, being ready. Prepare your heart, prepare your yeah. kids, prepare your mind. Go to bed early on Saturday yeah. night to receive the implanted word. There's a lot that as a congre- congregant that you can do to prepare for the Sunday morning service. Mm. You pray for your pastors, you pray for the worship leaders, you get yourself ready and you get your kids ready. Because usually what happens, right? We are uh, always running late mm-hmm. and we this get into the, the church. Into the Spence family. Yeah, this is the Spence family, right? <laughs> They're a family of seven, we're always late and we get inside the car and then somebody's bickering and somebody says they forgot their Bible and then did I lock the door? Did I leave the iron on? I think that the faucet is running. Something, And then we get to church and we have the perfect family. Listen, <laughs> preparation begins well before you get to church. Hmm. You can prepare your heart the night before and you could be on top of the kids to prepare their hearts as well. I think that uh, it is the responsibility of the parent. That's, that's so actually, good. That's a really good point. And speaking of rhythm, uh, liturgy, again, a liturgy is simply a rhythm or a practice that shapes your heart for worship. And so your Sunday Sabbath rhythm doesn't start when you show up at church. It starts in the morning. And to your point, if, you're, if your rhythm, if your liturgy is busy, anxious, hurry, and your kids are flustered and frustrated and you're yelling and arguing, you are telling them a false narrative about what Sabbath Sunday worship is supposed to look like. Right. Uh, in full confession, we actually realized that our, our, our family Sunday liturgy was off recently. See, our church moved to 4 p.m. service, which I despise. <laughs> I miss my morning service. But it, we have to do it because we lost our meeting place and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so our mornings became, we woke up, we hung out, somebody might have watched some TV, I might have read a book, kids go outside to play. Okay, it's time for church. And it just was, it was weird and disruptive. Yeah. And so more recently, we realized, we repented of that liturgy, of that rhythm. And we said, you know what? Between now, we're not gonna allow Sabbath to start at four. We're gonna wake up in the morning, we're gonna have a big family breakfast, and then we're gonna go on a hike and enjoy God's creation. Hmm. And then we're gonna come back and spend focused time together as a family, and then we're gonna go to church. And so we created, we recreated our liturgy, our family liturgy on a Sabbath Sunday that taps more into time together, 
time in God's creation, and then time at worship at church. And all those yeah. things are really important. That's so good. Yeah, and being, you know, being prepared for like even something as simple, Mark, as you said, laying out your clothes the night before, uh, having, st- I mean, I used to get so like particular about it. I'd, I'd pull, I'd pour our cereal bowls and put saran wrap Stop on top. It. Yeah, our healthy, right. non-sugared cereal. No, but we, you know, we, we, you know, I get ready just so like the less you have to do, the better. Yeah. You get up early, you shower, you're ready. How nice would it be to have like an hour and a half, two hours of a buffer before we have to leave for church, if possible. I know some services are real early, but where you're pacing yourself, yeah. like you're you're not rushing to the car. That's you're great, not, I know how you turn your shower on at night before you go to bed. Yeah, I, I yes. set the temperature <laughs> before I go to bed so I could walk right into the shower. <laughs> but no, you know, it's, it, it really, there is something really great about that. And so, yeah, be worshipers, not just in attending service, but in, in you're having your heart ready, your mind ready. Be prepared. And Ray, I want to wrap up with just mentioning, mentioning? A book, mentioning, sure, mentioning a book you wrote uh, called How to Bring Your Children to Christ and Keep Them There. Because obviously we're talking about worship and art. You, you mentioned, Oscar, the impact on our kids and what they see in the example. But Ray, that was uh, that, that, that book you wrote a long time ago, how important is it that, that parents are discipling their children, even in things like this. It's absolutely essential. In fact, I've sent you an email in the last five minutes saying, podcast subject, raising godly children. And let's mention that book. Yeah, I just sent it to you five minutes ago. So let's do that. One of our podcasts is talk about our own kids. We're all God offspring Uh and how we bring them up and teach them the fear of God. I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah, so friends, you can get that book. We'll talk about it on another podcast, but at livingwaters.com. We're here to serve you, to inspire and equip you in fulfilling the great, Commission. We hope your hearts have been turned toward worship, that you'll grow in discerning the false from the true. And if you're in a church that's not preaching God's word faithfully, uh, that, that is standing up for truth in this culture that is drifting from it, then maybe it's time for you to seek God on a new home. Thanks for joining us. See you next time here on Living Waters Podcast. chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.